You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony. Bill Austin is a member of the Firesign Theater. He's also known as Nick Danger. Thank you for joining me, Phil. It's a pleasure, Rick. Phil, uh, tell me uh, about the early days. How did one of the things that I think the Firesign Theater does really well is to create memorable characters. And of course, Nick Danger is one of your most memorable characters. How did you come up with this guy? Uh, Nick is Nick. Kind of appeared out of our collective brain. We do have a brain. I mean, it's spooky, but. We uh, were looking for um, something to fill in a a radio show that we were doing at the time. And uh, in desperation, we said, well, let's do a kind of noir detective that is just like when we're all old enough that we remember uh, hearing radio detectives from when we were kids. And so we basically are trying to recreate what we loved when we were children uh, in the the 40s, because you could still hear characters like Johnny Dollar. Uh, on the radio. And uh, in fact, Nick is very much kind of patterned after Johnny Dollar. Well, tell me about Johnny Dollar. I've never heard of him. He was an insurance investigator. But the main thing was that the combination of, uh, well, in fact, the original Nick Danger, because it has an organ accompaniment, it actually feels more like the 30s when it, when it really all started, where essentially they were taking stories right out of the pulp magazines putting them on the air as quickly as possible. And uh, kind of collectively, the American American writers all came up with the idea of uh, the fact that a detective could be someone who is not bound by the conventions of the police. Who you have Many of the many detectives in, uh, out of that genre are guys who used to work for the police force or got in trouble with the police. Uh, Nick's one of those. He has this odd relationship with Lieutenant Bradshaw, who is still with the force, and uh, there's something involving Anselmo Pederazzi, and there's something involving some other weird cases that come up every once in a while where you realize that Nick and the police force in Los Angeles have a bad history with each other. So that the private investigator that can then come be kind of symbolic of the of uh, honor and uh, the kind of the way Raymond Chandler often put it with his uh, famous detective Philip Marlowe was that Marlowe would look at himself as a soldier, as a, really as an enlisted man, and not as part of the establishment, not as part of the officer class, but someone out trying to do an honest job for his clients. And that's where Nick basically comes out of, although he's a comic character, and sublimely, uh, insanely uh, switches back and forth between two or three different worlds and uh, beingnesses, and uh, is a parody of all that, but at the same time, he has a kind of interesting heart, I think, I hope. Well, one of the things that's fascinating about these detective characters is that their position allows them easy access to all levels of society. From the, They're comfortable at home, you know, talking to somebody who's lying in the gutter, dead drunk, or talking to the highest of high society. Yeah, they really are a kind of everyman figure. And then when you combine that with the way the movies treated it, uh, with the... Uh, the fact that you had big, big kind of nice, big brass band jazz scores to go along with this kind of moody world that Nick's always Nick's always saying that he lives in a world of foot, foot, footste- hollow footsteps and rain or is his constant background, or as he likes to put it, I hate crickets and owls. 
Because on the radio, that's the only way you know it's night, is if you hear a cricket or an owl, or if you hear Nick Danger. Now, uh, you mentioned that you started out uh, with an organ accompaniment. Did one of you guys play the organ? No, we had a dear friend named David Grimm that played the organ for us in those days. He's since passed on from rheumatic fever, sadly. Uh, but that was our original, uh, the original soundtrack. And, and originally, we were very much trying to get that kind of late '30s feeling of what, uh, of, of the way radio treated uh, things like the FBI and cops and robbers and uh, gunmen and all, all those things. Uh, very much kind of similar to what we're facing right now in the country with the, this horrifying, don't call it a depression. Uh, there was there was a strong feeling, as there is today, I think that. Uh, uh, we we need to look through the eyes of of the common man, and as you say, uh, through the eyes of people that can look at all levels of society, not just one or two, and not just the top. Now, one thing I think that really appeals to me about your work is the sense of a, of deep mythology behind any of the uh, uh, individual stories. We uh, you talked about the history of uh, Nick Danger with Lieutenant Bradshaw. How much of that stuff did you work out? you know, in detail before you started, you know, doing, writing the episodes, and how much of it just did, did you just kind of, uh, I guess, uh, wallpaper in while you were doing it? Uh, you mean, how, how much did we rationalize after it was already done? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, well, in fact, uh, that's our writing process. We're a, we're a very weird thing as, as four writers. We, uh, I don't really know of anything comparable to us in a weird way. I don't necessarily mean that we're good, although hopefully we certainly aren't bad. What we did early on in our lives was uh, set up a kind of rule whereby everybody contributed to every piece of writing, everybody contributes to every sentence. And I mean, we will get four grown men sitting around discussing one word for 15 minutes in order to move on with a script is something most writers couldn't stand. And I, I... especially now, do a lot of writing on my own. I, ha- I don't do a lot of communal writing with the boys, but I, but I spent, God, what, 40 years with these guys doing this. And it's a spooky, weird process, a little bit like a, like a Ouija board to me. Uh, because what we, are, uh, what we came up with, the stuff that we came up with, like Nick Danger, is, uh, is just kind of unlike anything anybody else has ever come up with in American humor. It's uh, Nick Danger, uh, because he is a creature of the occult, that third eye is serious. He has an actual third eye. And uh, Because we were writing very much in the world of the late 60s when we started out with Nick, and that was a world where uh, Eastern religions and a lot of mysticism was combined suddenly into popular culture and music and a lot of other things. Uh, we arrived at, at uh, we arrived at a character that um, is ha- half a kind of uh, I, I hesitate to use the word religious or even spiritual. He just exists in the world that we, as people in our late twenties and the late sixties, felt was a, a real and true world. You, you suddenly had this world where Buddhism or Hinduism uh, were uh, seen as being equal with 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 Christian mythology. So we just kind of wrapped it all up into one thing and stuck it into a, you know, a, a, a tough talking dick, a, a guy whose heart is at the end of his wet fist. And uh, somehow it began to move over into our other work as well. Uh, of all the, what, I don't know, thousands of albums that we put out, 
all our work tends to have this feeling of uh, what we call the four or five crazy guys, in that there's this fifth guy that none of us have ever actually met who does the actual writing, and the four of us are just kind of a preliminary uh, uh, shoveling mechanism to, to to dig into the material. But somewhere, somehow, this fifth guy writes it down, and it's turned out pretty well. One of the things that always impressed me about Firesign Theater was the incredible sound quality you got. It seems really rich and layered and dense, and even by today's high production standards, sounds just amazing. Could you talk about creating that intense sound layered? The uh, the main factor was that we were under contract to what was called Columbia Records in those days and is now Sony. Um, and we had a contract, to, because we didn't have music, we didn't have the usual publishing royalties for music, because ASCAP and BMI would not uh, cover our work. We were, uh, as a kind of compensation, were given kind of unlimited studio time. So there we were at the Hollywood Studios on, on uh, Sunset Boulevard uh, with endless hours of time in front of us. So it gave us a, just a, a large incentive to... Uh, to do things in audio that that nobody had had a chance to do. Plus, we had we had cutting edge technology. That is, we had four track right at the beginning, <laughs> eventually eight track, and then moved our way up. But as we as we learned to work in that, and as we learned to produce these records, because no one else was doing it, we didn't have the uh, we didn't have the the uh, the goon show in this country, and we didn't we didn't have the the, Brit- the Brits were already moving slightly ahead of us, although the Goon Show was a was a live show and didn't have the audio subtleties that we did. Still, that was our inspiration, and uh, very much the Goon Show was very much our inspiration. And uh, we just tried to recreate in the studio. And along with this odd way of writing came an odd way of recording, where we would just spend hours and hours and hours going over things and getting them the way we wanted them and the way we thought they were right, and uh, making each other laugh. The the odd thing about the Firesign Theater, because it was always kind of a college boy thing, it still is. We're all very interested in in uh, in, those, in in each other's brains um, and how they work. That we, uh, I don't know, we somehow just came up with something with a lot of uh, audio equivalents of what it was like to walk around the inside of a writing session with us. We did not. We wanted you to play the records over and over again. We weren't interested in a comedy record that could be listened to twice and, and then basically sat forever gathering dust. We wanted you to be able to play these albums 10 to 20 times and still be able to hear stuff that you hadn't heard before. And uh, uh, we achieved that. I agree. That's one of the things. I, I, I still listen to the, them and still discover new things. I think one of the, the uh, results of your uh, writing style was that you were able to really tap into um, zeitgeist way ahead of its time. I'm thinking of We're All Bozos on This Bus, which has a you know a real feel for you know virtual reality that we have now so so yeah. much and everything you know is wrong which really captures the flavor of of what we now call coast to coast radio with all the UFO enthusiasts i have to ask you were you listening to UFO enthusiast radio when you wrote everything you know is wrong yeah we we re- we researched it quite a bit i'm i'm not i don't know if art bell existed in those days but if he did he would have been one of the ones we were listening to it was uh, it, 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 it really. It was um, 
a world that I uh, always enjoy very much, although I don't believe a word of it. It's uh, I just uh, our an album we did in gee, 1998 uh, for Rhino Warners, uh, which is called uh, "Give Me Immortality or Give Me Death." Also explores that same world, uh, very much of radio broadcasting it and uh, its combination with the odd world of. Of, uh, of not only the occult, but the insanity of uh, flying saucers and lights in the sky and holes in the ground, and things that uh, can never be explained. One thing that, that strikes me about all of your work is that despite the fact that it's all audio, it's very visual, and I think it's the most successful uh, audio I've heard at creating a whole movie in the, the listener's mind. I'm wondering if you could talk about that. You talked about writing scripts. Did you uh, think of them visually as well as in their audio form? Yeah, yeah you pretty much have to. It's, uh, I think any, any writer does that. It's you're you're writing down what somebody would see, and uh, but what we had was the ability to sit and and see while close it with see with your eyes closed. Uh, when you begin to really examine, the, the, one of the big revelations for me was that uh, television, which was a uh, considered to be a pretty low class art form in the late '60s and early '70s when we started working. Uh, what I began to feel was that if you closed your eyes and listened to television, you were suddenly in, you know, in a world of kind of, uh, you were you were in the same world that radio could provide. It was equally interesting from an audio standpoint. Uh, every trash uh, uh, used car salesman uh, became uh, Ralph Spoilsport with us, who who is a kind of immortal and Joycean figure. It turns out in our work, and uh, we began to take very seriously the soundtrack that people were listening to because they were the music had completely taken over radio at that point, and uh, the only place you heard people talking anymore was on television. So we uh, we just grabbed it and kind of turned we turned television soundtrack in, into radio as much as possible, and inevitably you're you're thinking a little bit more of visuals because that's what that's what television gives you. Well, you guys did such a superb job of combining stuff that was very concrete and stuff we're familiar with, the, the private eye, the you know, the car advertisement, with a really sublime and surreal sensibility. Uh, could you talk about some of the uh, influences on your the more surreal aspects of your writing? Well, the, with me primarily from radio, was I, I grew up in Fresno, California, which you may have heard of. It's a bit east of you. Um, and uh, all we had there on the N- on the NBC network and radio, which was a program called Monitor, was that and they would replay the Goon shows. And as as a as a country kid, I was just suddenly knocked out by these things. I couldn't believe it. And then when I discovered that the main writer on it is a guy named Spike Milligan, and Milligan's writing became kind of the uh, ne plus ultra of, of of anything I wanted to do. It was uh, this guy was good. He was. Uh, Kind of a tragic figure from World War II, had severe mental problems. Had, uh, was a huge star in, in England for the time that the Goon Show ran. Uh, Peter Sellers was the other most prominent member of of the group, and a guy named uh, <laughs> Ned Seagoon, Harry Seacum, and um, as well as a couple of other guys that were in and out. And uh, that was a huge influence with me. We uh, obviously uh, were trying to incorporate. Uh, 
some of the works of James Joyce, which come comes into uh, uh, parts of certain albums, obviously were pretty well read given given the usual standards of comedians. And uh, we uh, and comedian is probably the wrong word for us. I think we're probably what we are as humorists, and uh, we're trying to recreate uh, in a kind of more uh, multi-voiced fashion. We're trying to communicate or trying to reproduce what Mark Twain did in in American literature. We we like to think of ourselves as as 100% American and proud of it. Now, one thing that you guys did, you really attack. I mean, you came up with some kind of ballsy um, satires. There's a Shakespeare satire on one of your albums. Is it uh, Marx? Hail Marx Lenin? Uh, actually, it isn't. It's an album of itself. It's called Anything You Want to. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> and it is a purportedly written by Shakespeare. It's not, there's now a long history of it. We're preparing, at the moment, in fact, a uh, a final uh, print copy of the of it with thousands of pages of footnotes and all sorts of other stuff that goes along with it. And we started out doing it, God, 35 years ago or so, and writing it in small pieces, and then eventually it became a whole album, it became a radio show, it's, uh, and it's achieved a, a world unto itself. And it's called Anything You Want to, A-N-Y-T-H-Y-N-G-E, You Want to. And uh, I would, just speaking for myself, I spent most of my time before the Fireside Theater uh, being a kind of Shakespearean actor and uh, doing a whole lot of Shakespeare. And uh, all of us have a, a, a bit of background in that area. And uh, so we, and, and we often <laughs> stupidly saw ourselves as existing kind of in the same world that Shakespeare and the other writers of that time did was that they were university-educated people uh, in a mass entertainment form and uh, trying to see if you could combine uh, all the stuff that you dealt with in college uh, and all the stuff that you were dealing with on the so-called streets all at the same time. So we kind of saw ourselves as, as, as... it was easy to see our to see for us to think that we saw what Shakespeare saw and what those guys that like particularly Christopher Marlowe and and uh, Green and Hemmings and Condell and all those guys uh, would have been going through themselves some four centuries earlier, and uh, I think it it's just given us a, 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 a we don't I, how do I say this we feel comfortable with the with the this the 17th and 16th and 17th century, as if we lived there, as if we were that. We kind of made it up, but at the same time, it's kind of true. And anything you want to is the palpable result. Uh, we're in the 21st century, and, and you and the, the your colleagues are going to get together up in uh, Monterey in a couple weeks here. Tell us a little bit about planning for that show. Plan- ah, planning. There's <laughs> oh God, you're right. Is, is that what, too much of a when, too when, big a word? Got, we've got to get on this. Uh, yeah, we're uh, we haven't done any live shows since 2005. We did a tour of the West Coast in 2005. The closest we got to Central California was San Jose, and uh, this time we have a friend uh, who owns the Golden State Theater named Warren Dewey who offered us a sort of magnificent deal to come in and pl- do one show on the 24th of this month, which is a Friday night. And there will be, it's the only, it could be the only Fireside Theater show of the year. It's probably the only West Coast show of the year. We don't do a lot of shows. We, we don't, we've, we've had 
two or three national tours in our entire 40-year history. We've uh, we don't tour a whole lot, and so this is a rare occasion, and we're putting together a show of kind of all our favorite stuff, which is something we've never done. And it's so far just turning out to be a huge amount of fun. Uh, it's remarkable that you get guys who are now our age that get along with each other as well as we do, particularly after all the years when we've been up and down about not getting along with each other. So it's uh, huge fun for me. It's big fun. And uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, to Friday night on the 24th to see... Uh, uh, what we come up with, because a lot of what we do has to do with surprising each other at the last minute. So I'm I'm open to surprise. Uh, I'm wondering if you could, uh, if Nick Danger is in the room with you, and if I could ask Nick a couple of questions. Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, fire away. Oh, wait a minute. Don't fire. Do something more peaceful. Well, uh, Nick, um, yeah. y- you you have a, a a history with the L.A police department and lieutenant bradshaw it's a bad history it's not a good thing is um you want me to elucidate on that yeah what does the word elucidate mean oh never mind i'll just move on yeah there you are those uh, those guys are only interested in their own clothing you see that bradshaw's a guy who's only concerned with how he looks what shoes he's wearing what suit he's got on what pork pie hat or what kind of hat made out of pork he is actually wearing. And they try to pin a lot of stuff on me that, that that didn't ever work. They're real proud of that single light bulb that they've got down there, and they like to turn it on and off when they got me under it. And they've never come up with anything yet. They never will. I don't like them. They don't like me. I live in a dark underworld, and they live up in the sunlight somewhere with rich people. And you know what I always say? I hate rich people. Oh, I have oh to... wait a minute! Unless they're buying tickets to the Fireside Theater show, <laughs> <laughs> then they're well, then they're okay. Sure. I've been speaking with Nick Danger and Phil Austin. Thank you for joining me, Nick and Phil. Rick, thank you for having us on. Yeah, thanks, Rick. <laughs> now we're going to hear the entire first adventure of Nick Danger from the Box of Danger by a Fireside Theater. Los Angeles. He walks again by night. Out of the fog, into the smog. Relentlessly, ruthlessly, doggedly, toward his weekly meeting with the unknown. At 4th and Drucker, he turns left. At Drucker and 4th, he turns right. He crosses MacArthur Park and walks into a great sandstone building. Oh, my nose! Groping for the door, He steps inside, climbs the 13 steps to his office. He walks in. He's ready for mystery. He's ready for excitement. He's ready for anything. He's... Nick Danger, third eye. Uh, I want to order a pizza to go and no anchovies. No anchovies? You've got the wrong man. I spell my name, Danger. What? The makers of fantastic cigarettes, long in the leaf and short in the can, bring you another true story from the tattered case book of Nick Danger, Third Eye. Let's join him now in the adventure we call... Cut him off at the past! Let's get down to business. Uncross those beautiful stems of yours, baby. Here's the case I call number 666. It all began innocently enough on Tuesday. I was sitting in my office on that drizzly afternoon, listening to the monotonous staccato of rain on my desktop and reading my name on the glass of my office door. Regnad Kisten. 
My secretary lay snoring on the floor, her long, beautiful gams pinioned under the couch. I didn't hear him enter, but my nostrils flared at the smell of his perfume. Pyramid patchouli. There was only one joker in L.A. sensitive enough to wear that scent, and I had to find out who he was. Good afternoon, Mr. Danger. I'm Rocky Rococo. Thanks, Half-Pint. You just saved me a lot of investigative work. Maybe yes, maybe no. Do you know what this is? I had to think for a minute. What cruel game was he playing? Uh, that's a brown paper bag. That's correct. Now, look inside, Mr. Danger. What do you see? That's easy. That's a pickle. Very good. Now, I think you're ready for this. Why, that's nothing but a two-bit ring from a crackerback, Jocks. I'll sell it to you for $5,000. <laughs> what kind of a chump do you take me for? First class. That tarnished piece of tin is worthless. Worthless? <laughs> Not to Melanie Haber. Melanie Haber? You may remember her as Audrey Farber. Audrey Farber? Susan Underhill? Susan Underhill? How about Betty Jo Bialoski? Betty Jo Bialoski. I hadn't heard that name since college. Everyone knew her as Nancy. Then it all came rushing back to me like the hot kiss at the end of a wet fist. It was pig night at the Omani Padme Sigma house. We had escaped from the crowd and stood trembling under the dwarf maples. Oh, oh, Nicky, I... I don't know what to say. This is the most beautiful ring I've ever seen. Yeah, Nancy, it's really neat. It cost me $5,000. Oh, Nicky, I... Well, how can I ever repay you? Well, gee whiz, Nancy. How about 500 down and a 36-month contract? What? Or you could marry me. That's impossible, Nick. I can't marry you. I can't even tell you why. Maybe someday. All right, Nancy. I understand. Sign here. Oh, Nick. I'll never forgive you. And I'll never forget you neither, Nancy. And that's why I called you today, Nancy. I mean, Mrs. Haber. Something reminded me of that time so long ago under the dwarf maples. I don't know what prompted you to get in touch with me. But you called just in the nick of time. You haven't lost your delicate sense of humor, have you, Nancy? What? Nick, I can't talk to you now. You have to get out here right away. My husband, he... It's the same old place in Santa Barbara, Nicky. Oh, hurry, Nicky, I need you. I can... Nancy! I slipped the ring into my nose and the receiver into my pocket and headed for the door quickly. But I'd forgotten the little man with the evil grin. Just a second, danger. What about my pickup? You're lucky you still have your brown paper bag, small change. Ah! Danger! You haven't seen the last of me! No, but the first of you turns my stomach! You'll be hearing from me again, Danger! I headed down the hall in the opposite direction toward the fire escape. I hadn't a moment to lose. Hey! Danger! Where's the fire? In your eyes, Lieutenant Bradshaw. Don't get wise with me, Peeper. You're lucky we didn't burn you on the Anselmo pederasty case. Look, you caught him, didn't you? Yeah. But the punk got away, no thanks to you. <laughs> well, what brings your flat feet sniffing around here now, copper? Just a friendly word of advice, Danger. Yeah? What? Don't go sticking your big nose into police business. Sure, Lieutenant. Is that all? No. 
Don't talk with your mouth full. Okay, Bradshaw. And don't fidget while I talk to you. Sure, And Lieutenant. stop tracking mud across my nice okay. clean... Okay. When I hit the street, the rain had already turned L.A. into a mud river. It was a short swim down Alvarado to my convertible. I had to get to Santa Barbara in a big hurry. As I whipped onto Mulholland Drive, the lights were just twinkling out across the San Fernandino Valley. I could barely make them out through the driving rain. Then a hard ride down Big Tajunga Canyon. My tires squealed as I hit Sepulveda. A right, a left, a left, another right, a left of the body, a right, and into a gas station. Hey, Pop! All right, all right, hold your horses, I'm coming. Hey, yeah? Where am I? You can't get there from here. But I'm looking for the same old place. Oh, you must mean the old same place, Sonny. It's right out back. Here's the key. Four hours later, I parked my car in the carriage house and walked up the gray gravel driveway between a line of dwarf maples toward the pillared entrance of the same mansion. It had been snowing in Santa Barbara ever since the top of the page, and I had to shake the cornstarch off my mucklucks as I lifted the heavy obsidian door knocker. Hey, in there! Open up! Your door knocker fell off! Watch all this brouhaha! Brouhaha? <laughs> wait, wait a minute! Don't you want this door knocker? I already have one! But this is yours! You see? I told you. We used to have another one, but he vanished mysteriously. All right, come in out of the cornstarch and dry your mucklucks by the fire. Let me introduce myself. I am Nick Danger. No, let me introduce myself. I am Nick Danger. If you're so smart, why don't you pick up your cues faster? Are those my cues? Yes, and they must be dry by now. Why don't you pull them up out of the cellophane before they scorch? <laughs> All right, sir. May I take your hat and goat? Yes. I assume you've come to see my mistress, Mr. Danger. I don't care about your private life or what his name is. I've come to see Nancy... Uh, Mrs. Haber. Mrs. Haber? Audrey Farber. Audrey Farber? How about Betty Jo Bialowski? Oh, you mean Nancy. Well, she's in the aviary stunting trees. I shall return with her straight away. You may wait here in the sitting room, or you can sit here in the waiting room. There was something fishy about the butler. I think he was a Pisces, probably working for scale. I felt a thin shiver run up my spine as I sat down on the cold marble floor. What was it about this place? The atmosphere was as phony as the Tudor balustrade that leered at me from the top of the staircase. And there she stood, radiant. All those curves showing through that flimsy burnoose. It was Nancy running down the stairs. All the familiar sounds and smells of pig night came rushing back like a good snort of scotch. Then it struck me. Twenty years later, and she still knocked me out. Oh, where am I? Nick, 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 oh, Nick, wake uh, up. Are you all right? Oh, uh, yes. Oh, then stop slapping uh, me. Uh, oh, oh. oh, no, N Nancy, Nancy. What's the bird's eye low down on this caper? Whatever that means. Nick, we can't talk here. We can't talk here. What does it mean we can't talk here? We can't talk here. Oh, oh, you're right, we can't. What's the way to do it? Follow me. This one. This is much better. We're at the chapel now. It's soundproof, so no one can hear us. What did you say? 
I said no one can... What? Never mind. Follow me. What? Here, take my hand. This way. Ah, this is much better. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty fancy layout you've got here, Nancy. What's this, your boudoir? Oh, no. These are the kennels. Putting on the dog, eh? <laughs> well, say, where are all the doggies? They've mysteriously disappeared. Oh, yeah? Yes, I just told you. Along with the servants, they were very attached to one another. Where? At the wrist and ankles. Wait a minute. You said all the servants had disappeared. Did I? What about your butler? You mean Catherwood? Yes, madam. Oh, oh. Catherwood. Oh, you startled me. I'm sorry, madam. What are you doing there on all fours? I'm looking for my script. Why don't you just go on without me? Listen, Nancy. I smell a rat. So do I. I think he's got my script. Oh, yes, uh, Catherwood, uh, you look for it, all right? All Gee, right, you. madam. Uh, uh, Nick, quickly, yeah, Monty, through this sacred Monty. panel. All right. Oh. 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 This, this is, is the portrait, portrait gallery. <laughs> this, this is, is the portrait. <laughs> There's an echo in here. <laughs> this is the portrait gallery, Nick. It's the safest room in the mansion. Mm. No one can find us here. All right, Nancy. Get your, Get your hands, hands off me. me. What's the scoop? Chocolate, butterscotch, or Rocky Rococo Road. That reminded me. How had she gotten herself involved with that slimy weasel Rococo? And how do I make my voice do this? Oh, nicky, nick, nick. It all began 20 years ago with the mysterious disappearance of my husband. You mean you were already married when I sold you that ring? No wonder she hadn't been able to meet the payments. What? So that was your secret. Oh, what a sap I've been. Oh, yes. But that night... The strangest thing happened. That usually goes along with being just married. My husband, Johnny, he... Oh, Nick, I want to tell you the horrible truth, the whole truth, all of it. The man behind everything. Gee, madam. Let me handle this, Nancy. Uh, Far out, Catherwood. Just roll a couple of bombers and leave them on the side table. Yes, madam. Oh, I say, pardon me, madam. I, I seem to have crashed. It's been such a long exposition, you know. I'm so tired. Catherwood. Yes, sir. Catherwood, can't you see you're upsetting Nancy? Leave us alone. Well, how much would you like, sir? Five hundred? A thousand? I am Scray Osterbay. Oh, of course, sir. Uku Kachuk, sir. Gesundheit. Yes. I'm so tired, I haven't all right, Nancy, go on with your story. Start with your dreadful secret. Oh, Nick, I can't. I can't. I'm so confused. Well, why don't you just hold your thumb next to your line? See, like this. Huh? Like, I, this way I don't get confused and I never lose my place. Uh, I, I feel faint. The whole world is spinning. Why, that's lucky for us, Nancy. If it were flat, all the Chinese would fall off. Oh, I... Why, she's no fun. She fell right over. Wait a minute. Didn't I say that line on the other side of the record? Where am I? I'd better check. Who is now? It's okay. They're speaking Chinese. Poor Nancy. She's fainted. I'll just wrap her skirt around her head like this to keep her warm. Now I'll press her body close to mine to keep me warm. She looked so helpless there, spread-eagled on the floor. I beat the eagle off and gave her a quick mouth-to-mouth resuscitation job. And then it struck me. What a sap she had. Ah, good girl, Nancy. That ought to hold him for a oh, while. Poor Nicky. He's bleeding. I'll tear this strip off my petticoat. Sir, you want to go? 
Ah, there. You tie him up with this. I'll go through his pockets. All right. Oh, no. Oh. Careful, careful. Don't wake him up. Oh, that contract must be on him oh, somewhere. Audrey. You fools. What? Haven't you found the contract yet? Your time is almost up. Rococo, you slimy blackmailer. How did you get in here? You don't have a key. No, only half a key. What? I had to split it with a sound effects man. Where is the contract, you absent-minded old fraud? Wait wait a minute, wait a minute. Here it is. I found it. It was taped to his leg. Give me that. Ha-ha! I've got it at last. All right. All right. Now maybe you'll leave us in peace, Rococo. Give me the negative. Of course. Here it is. Oh, at last. Now we're out of your evil clutches. Dan, Dan, wait a minute. Look at this negative. It isn't us. It's an interesting approach, but it isn't us. She's right. What are you trying to pull on me, Rococo? Oh, my goodness. I I, I must have sent the wrong negative to the police. I, I, I mean, I, I, I must have left yours in the car. I'll, uh, I'll go get it. A second, Rococo. You're not going nowhere until you've explained what you've done with that filthy piece of blackmail. Are you threatening me? Why, you stupid toad. I ought to beat your brain out. No, put down that pickle. You'll never get away with this, Rococo. Oh, yeah? Didn't you ever see Casablanca? The thick veil of pain lifted enough for me to eyeball the situation. Rococo, that sleazy weasel, how did he get in here? And what was he doing with that pickle in one hand and my contract in the other? I had no choice. Nancy and the old butler were frozen with terror. I struggled quietly to my feet and flung myself headfirst at Rococo's stomach. Our life. This ain't no time for ticker tape parades, baby. Get me out of these ropes and into a good belt of scotch. Uh, let me uh, hold that contract for you, Mr. Danger. I'll keep that contract, Catherwood. Oh, but you right. can take this pickle off my hands. Uh, no, I think you better hold on to that, Nick. Good thinking, sweetheart. Lieutenant Bradshaw will need all the evidence he can get. Uh, yes, <laughs> and uh, you should stick around too, Danger. You can uh, help him put all the pieces together, you know. Right. <laughs> no, no, a left. Oh! I felt like I was being kicked in the head by the whole chorus line at Minsky's. So Nancy was in on this caper. I felt myself going under. The biggest long shot Louis at Hialeah wouldn't put a fin on my fate now. This time, something told me I was out for lunch. I even began to hear things. I'll never forget you. Oh. Oh. Keep your nose on right where you are. I'm Lieutenant Bradshaw with a piece of advice for you. Now here in the studio, it's all knuckles and know-how. But when that red light goes off, I'm just plain Harry Ames, citizen and weekend father. Now take a tip from a cop who does. Radio work can be just as dirty and exciting as hunting down public enemy number one. So when I get home, my old lady knows what I need and how. A warm, heaping bowl full of looseners, castor oil flakes with real glycerin vibraphone. It doesn't just wash your mouth out. It cleans the whole system right on down the line. So come on, you little rookies. Tell your mom to get on it and do it every day. Just remember what the guys down at the precinct house sing. Oh, it ain't no use if you ain't got the boost. The boost you get from looseners. Looseners.
The all-weather breakfast. And now we return you to Act Three of Nick Danger, Third Eye. When the crazy escalator ride ended, I fought my way back up to the land of the living. I came to slumped over in the front seat of my own car, lying in a pool of cheap rock cut. I had a head full of ideas that were driving me insane and a mouthful of cotton candy. You want some more cotton candy, Danger? It might sober you up. Oh, my head. Bradshaw, baby. Yeah. I never thought I'd be happy to see your ugly mug. Save the wisecracks for the warden, Danger. I got you this time and I got you good. What are you talking about? Get out of that car. Hey, come on. If you can stand up and keep your hands high, I got you covered. Hey, what's this all about, Bradshaw? You know I never carry a rod. Yeah, but it's murder what some people can do with a car, and I got witnesses to prove it. There's a man. Keep me away from him. Take it easy, little lady. I don't know why you're doing this, Nancy, but it doesn't change my feelings about you. Oh, Nick, you're such a tool. All right, all right, take it easy, little lady. All right, now let's get these facts straight. Take this down, Henderson. Okay, Professor, how did it happen? Well, Sergeant... Uh, uh, Lieutenant. Yes, Mrs. Farber and I were sitting right here in the living room engaged in a friendly round of spin the pickle, weren't we, dear? Yes, with our good friend, Mr. Rococo. Uh, yes, and then suddenly the door flew open and this drunken madman right here drove in, honking wildly and headed straight for us. He's lying, Professor! Can it, danger! the last possible moment, he stopped on a dime. I see. Unfortunately, the dime was in Mr. Rococo's pocket. I'm going to break your neck, Catherwood! All right, all right, hold it, Danger! I've heard enough. We'll get the rest of the story down at the station house from you. I've been waiting for this for years. Wise up, Bradshaw. Week in and week out, I didn't Danger, do it. playing second fiddle while you got all the girls. Come on, I'm tired of being Mr. Nice Guy. See, there's going to be some changes made. Next week, this show is going to be called... Sergeant Bradshaw, Lieutenant. District Attorney! I, I'm going to have my own theme music, and it's all going to take place in Washington, D.C. No plots, just girls and, and, and guys doing nice, simple things up against Nazis and fifth columnists, and, and no Jewish writers, either. I'll, I saw I'll, my I'll, chance, and I took my name it. In the papers. Bradshaw my would never listen to my story now. Colonel it had more Linder holes in it than Albert Hall. My only way up was... Like this! <laughs> Stop it. I've got Bradshaw's rod pressed against Nancy's tongue. Now you spill the beans or I'll blow her brain out. I, I think you're bluffing, Flatfoot. No, you weren't bluffing. All right, talk. It all began 20 years ago. I was a freshman in college then, although you wouldn't hardly believe it to look at me now. I, I had just completed work on my science project and... And I invited Nancy down to reveal the secret, too. Well, this is it, Nancy. How do you like it? So this is where you've been every night since we got sure married. Sure is. Oh, Nicky, I thought uh, you were... Uh, uh, Danny, but don't don't say it, Nancy. I, I know it's been hard, but I wanted to give you the swellest honeymoon a girl had ever had. We're going to Greece. And swim the English Channel? No, no. To ancient Greece, where burning Sappho loved and sang and stroked the wine-dark sea in the temple by the moonlight wa-da-do-da. What? Don't you see, Nancy? I've built the perfect time machine. Oh, it sounds dangerous. Yes, that's why I'm going to try it out first. Now, when I get into this grandfather clock, you hit me over the head with this bottle of champagne right here, oh. set the dial for a thousand and put in three dimes. Mm -hmm. I'll be gone for a thousand years. A thousand? Oh, that's longer than anyone's ever been gone before. But to you it will seem only like a minute. Very well, my love. Now, forward into the past! 
Gia, I hope he gets back before all this dry ice melts. Who, who's there? Mrs. Haber? Who, who's that? I'm Rocky Rococo. You may have seen me loitering around the drugstore, drinking chocolate malted falcons, and giving away free high schools. Well, what are you doing here? What do you want? <laughs> I'm here for a friend, Mrs. Haver. If you sign a contract, you're supposed to keep up the payments. Oh, you must be a friend of Nick's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he couldn't want his money already. He only gave me the ring last night. I'm, I'm wearing it, see? Yes, that's a very pretty hand you have there. <laughs> All right, all right, Catherwood, I've heard just enough. What? what I, I, listen, I'm telling this story, young man. What are you doing in my flashback? Flashback? What are you talking... Flashback? All right, all of you. You stay right where you are. Put your thumbs on your place in your script while I figure this out. So that was her horrible secret. Poor Nancy, married to a man a thousand years old. Now I understood why the servants had disappeared. It was Catherwood who killed Rococo to protect his wife, my Betty Jo. Who is he talking to? How does he make his voice do that? All right, Bradshaw, there's your confession. I hope you got it all down. Brad Bradshaw? Bradshaw. Oh, that's right, he's not in this flashback. Oh, how do I... I'll skip ahead a bit. No, I can't skip ahead. All right, everybody, into the time machine. No, 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 you don't understand how radio works. Now, this is my flashback. All I have to do to return us to the present is fade my voice out like this and cue the organist. And you see, here we are. Oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness. What's happening? Am I seeing double? There's two of everybody except me. Pandemonium was breaking out all around me. Wait a minute. Who are you? I was here first. You imposter, take that. Oh, you keep away from him, you young hussy. Who are you calling a hussy, you old bag? Well, how dare you talk to me like that? You can talk to me any way I like. What nerve? I'm not you. You're me 20 years ago. What? You have a lot of nerve saying I'm going to look like that in 20 years? Oh, yeah? There ain't room enough in this dress for both of us. Get your knife! Well, this is a bit of fun, isn't it? Yes, it certainly is, Dad. Glad to have someone my own age to talk to after all these years. Ah, why don't we sing something? Well, I've forgotten the key. Oh, that's all right. I've got a lid out in the car. David? A cast woman living a life apart. Where did your story begin? Stop it, stop it. Stop singing, you fools. Can't you see someone has been crashed here under this car? Oh, oh my God, it's me. I don't look at all well. I'm dead. I've been killed. Oh, this hasn't happened to me since M. I did a quick 2020 on the whole scene. I thought that I was the only one going insane. But now we are all in this together. I knew what I had to do. I didn't like it, but that happened just as time before. All, All right, right everybody. everybody, take, take off your... Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this scheduled transmission to bring you an announcement of national importance from the White House in Washington, D.C. Ladies and gentlemen... Hold on, hold on. Clear, clear, clear.
Ladies and gentlemen, the President of the United States. My fellow Americans, this morning at 6.25 a.m. Pacific Standard Time, combined elements of the Imperial Japanese Navy and our forces ruthlessly attacked our naval base at Pearl Harbor in the Hawaiian Islands. I have conferred this morning with the Congress and the Chiefs of Staff in emergency session. We have reached our rendezvous with destiny. It is our unanimous and irrevocable decision that the United States of America unconditionally surrender. And now my wife and I would like to return with you for the thrilling conclusion of Private Nick Danger, Third Eye. So I've solved another one for you. Danger, I'll never know how you do it. I was sure I had the goods on you this time. Well, Bradshaw, it's like in the army, you know. The great prince issues commands, founds states, vests families with fiefs. Inferior people should not be employed. Nick, I can't knock success. But you still put me through too many changes. The makers of Looseners Castor Oil Flakes and Fantastic Cigarettes. Looseners for the smile of beauty, Fantastics for the smile of success. And brought you the transcribed adventures of Nick Danger, Third Eye. Tune in again next week, same time, same station, when Nick Danger meets the Arab. <laughs> da! All right, let's do the little. Rolling. Yeah. Okay, Phil, you put on the ball plate. We'll go to the other side. So how, much like time, how much time? How much time have we got? How yeah. much time have we got? Why don't you say that? Okay, well that's that. Yeah. How much time? Oh, <laughs> look at this. Time. Okay, hey Cyrus. We're on now. Man. Cyrus, do we have yeah, to? Okay, I'm going over to, to the other uh, side gonna, of the record. Yeah. I'm going to come in from well, the. How much? How long does it take to get over the other side? Okay, wait a minute. Just a minute or something. We haven't got. Come on, let's go. Have you got your ball? Oh right. Come on. Look, let's just do it. Has anybody got my script? Time, Cyrus. Here we go. Scene three, take six hundred. You're listening to the Agony Column News Report featuring interviews, phone interviews, reports from live book events and festivals, and conversations with readers. You can find additional news, interviews, book reviews, and more five days a week at the Agony Column website at trashotroncom agony.